Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Welcome back to another edition of Mile High Report Radio Podcast. Uh, MHR Radio, Ian St. Clair, Adam Malnati here. Uh, Ian, it has been what I would consider to be a a fairly interesting uh, last couple of days in Broncos country. Uh, Ever since the Broncos lost to the Browns, there's a a few different stories that have come out, a few different things that we could talk about. Um, You know, there's stuff about Vance Joseph and and the fact that this may be – the end for him, it seems like that's where we're at. And then also the ownership stuff that kind of came out and the 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 Mike Shanahan, John Elway, um, I don't know, secret meeting or whatever you want to call it. That was sort of an interesting thing that came out from Woody Page, and I'd like to hear sort of your perspective on it because it, it's certainly interesting what's going on. As Andrew Mason told us on a, a podcast around training camp, he said that it's never boring in Broncos country. He did say that. And that is, this is another example of that. And it's 100% correct because it is never boring in Broncos country. And this Woody Page story that came out on Monday is the latest example of disarray in a franchise that has no leadership, has no direction, has no path, and is being led by a headless horseman. 
And for those who haven't seen the story from Woody Page, Woody Page from five unnamed sources had a story where Elway and Shanahan met. They had an agreement in place for Shanahan to be the head coach, Gary Kubiak to be the offensive coordinator. Kirk Cousins would be the quarterback. Joe Ellis nixed it. And the biggest takeaway from all of this, we can debate John Elway bringing the band back together for a second time. The first time he did it worked out pretty well since they won Super Bowl 50. You can debate whether or not Kirk Cousins in Mike Shanahan's and Gary Kubiak's offense would work. It's an interesting debate because Mike Shanahan was the one who drafted Kirk Cousins. Some of his best years were in that offense, similar to Kyle Shanahan's offense, because that's basically, I mean, it's the Shanahan offense, whether it's Mike or Kyle. Those are debates that you can have. Those are, those are fun debates. What's not a fun debate is when you have a president of an organization who's also serving as the president of the Pat Bowlen Trust, and a whole nother podcast can be made about whether that's a conflict of interest and if Joe Ellis's interests are with the Broncos and Broncos country or with Joe Ellis. That's a whole nother podcast. The fact that he's meddling on the football operations side of things and dictating to John Elway who he can hire and what direction he can go in is not a good thing. And that's the biggest takeaway for me because Joe Ellis isn't exactly doing a a stand-up job of running the business side of this organization given he can't get a sponsor on the stadium the Broncos play in. Now he's telling John Elway who he can hire. That's yeah. not good. That's yeah. not good. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, it's. I think um, one of the, one of the things I would say about that is it feels like there's too many cooks in the kitchen, and if you're gonna hire a guy to make the football decisions, let him make the football decisions. Um, if you've if you've got a guy to do the business decisions, have him do the business decisions. I get that. Um, you know, and I, I can't really tell you, like you just said, I can't tell you whether or not rehiring Mike Shanahan is the right thing to do or not. Uh, I can't tell you if, if getting the band back together, like you said, is is the way to go. But I can tell you that it is very clear that John Elway has certain people who he trusts when it comes to football. He trusts Gary Kubiak because Gary Kubiak is is what his roommate for years, right? And Gary Kubiak is one of his best friends, and they, I'm sure, have, have talked football ad nauseum. I you can't even imagine the late nights and, and all of those things. And he brought him back, and he won a Super Bowl. He trusts Mike Shanahan. Uh, in, you know, that's I think that's the thing that kind of gets people sort of like, why does he trust certain people? You know, like Matt Russell is somebody he trusts. Well, he trusts Matt Russell because he trusts Matt Russell. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you that he trusts Mike Shanahan. And I can tell you why he trusts Mike Shanahan when it comes to football. And he trusts Mike Shanahan when it comes to football because Mike Shanahan came to the Denver Broncos at the end of John Elway's career 
and got him two Super Bowls to end his career. Maybe his exit wasn't as as nice as he wanted. I'm, I'm sure uh, there are some other stories out there about how John Elway uh, left the franchise and why he chose to retire and, and some of those things. And, uh, you know, the fallout between Shanahan and Elway is, is something, again, that's another podcast, right? I don't I don't know the story there well enough to, t- to speak to it. That's another big takeaway from all of this, though, just to interrupt real quick. Go for it. Is they were able to mend their relationship because it's been debated and talked about for years that John Elway and Mike Shanahan don't like each other anymore. So the fact that they were able to mend that relationship, they're going to make that work. No, especially if he's going to be around the Broncos because he he's the winningest coach in franchise history. One back-to-back Super Bowls should have been back-to-back-to-back Super Bowls, but we won't get into that. No, we won't talk about it. Um, you know, and and so I think it's it's frustrating when I think a lot of fans see that as as an opportunity to to maybe relive the glory days. I don't know, um, but it certainly was an opportunity to get rid of Vance Joseph. And I don't care where you were at two weeks ago as far as whether or not you thought Vance Joseph was coming back or doing a good job or where you were at the beginning of the season or the end of last season, the idea right now sitting here talking to you that Vance Joseph could be back as the head coach of the Broncos next season, it does not sit well with me. And if they had done what we wanted them to do at the end of the season last year and fired Vance Joseph and gone this direction, I can't tell you what would have happened. I don't know what the Broncos record would be. I don't know if Mike Shanahan would be a good fit with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and and that defense. I don't know if if Mike Shanahan would be the guy that would uh, you know be able to turn that offense around. But what I do know is Vance Joseph is not very good at his job, and John Elway was not given the opportunity to move on from Vance Joseph. So here and we that's are. Your biggest takeaway. And there's your biggest takeaway and right it, there. Until that issue gets resolved. It's going to be like the cloud hanging over Eeyore mm-hmm. because that's a debate going on right now, especially with MHR, but I'm sure it's across all the Broncos country, is who would want to come into this situation as the next head coach? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're John Harbaugh reading this, or let's say it's Chuck Pagano, if you're a veteran coach looking into this situation with no owner and you have a, a president – of the organization and the trust. So the the de facto owner dictating what is going on on all aspects of this organization, why would you want to get involved in that? Yeah, there's too there's too many um too many variables there. There's there's too many people making decisions, too many things going on and I and I think that a a veteran head coach who could come in and stabilize things and I think that's really what this franchise needs is probably not going to want to step into that, right? That's a hornet's nest that you don't need to get involved in. And so some of these coaches that fans might want to uh, have the Broncos look at and some of these guys that people pine for um, are going to look at this organization and go, yeah, no, thank you, which means you're now sort of limited to guys that are looking for their first shot. You know, that's kind of what Vance Joseph was. That's what Kyle Shanahan was. A lot of people wanted him to be the guy that was hired but that wasn't going to happen because clearly the issues with Mike Shanahan, but then things got mended. Who knows, right? There's just too much going on. So that all being said, and I knowing- will say that what this does is it just raises even more questions 
than there was prior to that Cleveland Browns game. There is more confusion and more questions surrounding this organization right now than I think anyone can possibly handle. It's more than I can handle. No. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. It's too much. It's it's more questions than the SATs. Um, They're plopping it out there and expecting oh, it to perform. I, was, I, was, I literally was like, I think this is it. This I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it, and then I didn't get to. So I, I, I got nothing here. Um, all right. I do think the one thing that that we can take away from all this is that Vance Joseph is coaching for his next job, and Thank God. Uh, it, it's time for the organization to move on. And you know, I wish him the best of luck somewhere else, as long as it's somewhere else, um, and and never against the Broncos, right? But it's Raider Week. I mean, the, the thing that gets lost in all of this, and and sort of interestingly enough, that we're talking about Mike Shanahan. It's Raider week, and that's the most important week of the entire season, and it happens twice. So, (laughs) At least it used to be. It did. That's true. That's an interesting way to look at it because the Raiders, who used to be the biggest rival of the Denver Broncos, aren't very good. So do we still look at them in the same way? And then there's the other side of the argument, the Scotty side of the argument of – who cares if they win the next two games? They're not making the playoffs. Lose the next two games. Get the highest draft position you can. So where do people fall on this? And I know we had this conversation last year. I think we had it the year before. I think it's it's sort of a recurring conversation, right? It's one of those things that people always sort of have their own opinions on. Um, and I waver, to be honest. I, I want the higher draft position, but I can't. I just can't. I, they, we ha- You have to beat the Raiders. You can go two and, and and fourteen, but those two wins have to be against the Raiders, right? That's my biggest issue with all of this. It's not just fans saying that the Raiders aren't the biggest rival anymore. There's actually people in the media. There's actually people who played for the Broncos who are thinking and saying this. And that bothers the bejesus out of me. Cause I'm I'm thinking of the Bears and the Packers. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine at any point fans of either team saying that it isn't a rivalry anymore? No. Michigan, Ohio State? Never. Boston, New York? No. It doesn't matter how bad the team is. Duke, North Carolina. This rivalry is historic. It is historic. It's the Broncos' biggest rival. It will always be the Broncos' biggest rival. And for anyone who says that it isn't their biggest rival – Needs to talk to Tom Jackson, who, by the way, I tried to not only get on the podcast, but to interview, but it didn't work out with timing because I want fans to hear from him how much he hates the Raiders. And he needs to go in Raider week for the, for as long as he needs to, to talk to the organization, to the players, to the coaches, on what Raider Week means. To do a history lesson on what it's like to play the Raiders and beat the Raiders. Because as long as I am alive, I will be a Broncos fan and I will be a Raider hater. They will always be the Broncos' biggest rival. That's never going to change. 
and it bothers the bejesus out of me when people say the Raiders aren't their biggest rival. I don't care if the games don't mean anything. I don't care that the games aren't meaningful. They may haven't played a meaningful game since the mid-90s. So what? This is a rivalry that goes back to the 1960s. This rant has been brought to you by uh, Mile High Report Radio Podcast, Ian St. Clair. And and you're absolutely right, Ian. It's a historic it's a historic rivalry. And and I know that there are other teams out there that are better, you know, the more recent rivalries, the 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 recent sort of um, back and forth with the Patriots. The the Chiefs are a big rival, right? It's a division rival. The Chiefs are a big rival, yada, yada, yada. The, I hate the Chiefs. Oh, absolutely. I will never hate the Chiefs as much as I hate the Raiders. It's just I not will, possible. It will never happen. No, and, the thing, and we've talked about We talked about the, the Steelers being a rival for the Broncos throughout their history, always kind of standing in the way of, of their success. And we talked, we've talked about a lot of those teams that have been considered rivals of the Broncos, but none of them have the historic value that the Raiders have. And it's unfortunate, I suppose, that the Raiders have been as bad as they are because it does kind of hurt the way that fans perceive them, and so you don't look at them as a rival. But the truth is they are the Broncos' biggest rival, and you don't get to just ignore history and ignore the way that those two franchises have hated each other for years. Mike Shanahan was was that way as well. He hung signs at practice that said Raider Week. He hated losing to the Raiders. He refused to lose to the Raiders. It was it was not allowed. And, you know, he coached for the Raiders for a while and that sort of ended in a yeah, that ended in in less than a in a in a less than amicable way. And the only reason and I believe this, I do believe this, the only reason that Al Davis hired Mike Shanahan as the head coach was to get him out of Denver and away from John Elway. Because he knew I think he could see it. Mike Shanahan was getting ready to take over as the head coach of the Denver Broncos, and that team was going to be very good for a long time with Mike Shanahan as the head coach. So what did he do? He stepped in, hired him as the head coach. Things went south really quickly on that. And then Mike Shanahan goes away, sort of hones his skills in San Francisco, right, as the offensive coordinator there, wins a Super Bowl, and then comes home. And we hate the Raiders. The Raiders hate the Broncos. That's just the way it is. And I'm fi- makes I have no problem with that. I'm fine with it. That's the way it's supposed to be. And this is the biggest game of the season. They have to win this game. Period. I don't care what it does to their draft position. If they pick 12th or 13th or 9th, I don't know what what they're picking right now. But what if they win this game, they'll move up one or two spots in the draft or down one or two spots in the draft? Who cares? To quote the great Jay Cutler, not so great, but still a great quote. Who cares? Not me. I don't care. I care about beating the Raiders. That's what I care about. I care about this franchise, the Denver Broncos, no matter what else is happening, no matter what is going on around this team, I care about them beating the Raiders. It's Raider Week, people. Get excited. Get pumped up. For those who don't know the history, and that that's for fans like Scotty, who are younger, they they didn't grow up Those darn with kids the great, with the greatness of that rivalry, because it was ingrained in me as a, a as someone who grew up in Greeley, 
you love the Broncos, you hate the Raiders. Born and bred Raider hater. Yep. But for those who don't know the history of the rivalry, who don't know the history of Tom Jackson running up and down the sidelines yelling and saying, it's over, fat man. Watch the videos on Broncos.com, DenverBroncos.com of the 1977 season and see the highlights of the wins over the Raiders. It's worth the time. And for me, the biggest reason the Raiders will always be the number one rival is because at the time it was the biggest, most amazing accomplishment ever. On January 1st, 1978, the Denver Broncos beat the Oakland Raiders to advance to their first Super Bowl. The fact that they climbed that hill of beating their hated rival, who they couldn't beat. I got the stats right here of the history of the rivalry. When you look at when the rivalry started in 1960, somehow the Den- the, the Broncos won the first game 31-14. And they lost the next two. So the second game of 1960, the first game of 1961, the Broncos then won three straight. Then you look at what happened over the next, I don't know, 15 years. The Broncos won. He's three looking. games. <laughs> he's he's looking. He's 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 efforting on the addition there. It's hard to add them up when they're really far apart. I think that's the issue, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a losing streak in here because there is a tie. There is a tie in 1964. He's adding it up again, everybody. He's he's looking at it. It's hard. 17 games. 17. Did I just yell that? That's a lot of games. That's a lot of losses. Oh, like you want to, you just can't handle that. Right. As a fan, that's just how many, let me ask you a question though. Sort of off topic. How many games have they lost to the chiefs in a row at this point? I think it's six or seven. It's a lot. I think it's seven because the last win against the Chiefs would have been 2015. That, yep. That miraculous fumble recovery. Right. But then they lost because Peyton threw four interceptions. Mm-hmm. So they've lost to the Chiefs ever since then. So I think it's seven. That's a long time. And you just said the word 17. 17. That's an incredible number of, of times in a row to lose to a team. And it's, why the, hated it's rival. why the Broncos are still trailing in this series 52-62-2. Because when you look at the – from the time Mike Shanahan took over as coach, it's basically the same as it was early in the history of the rivalry. It, I mean, it's it's remarkable how it transfixed ever since Shanahan got hired. Because prior to Shanahan being hired – when the because the Broncos won in 1992, mm-hmm. they then lost six straight games 
That's about when Shanahan was gone, right? And then he comes in in uh, around 94, 95. Mm-hmm. And then they just they go on a, a miraculous winning streak. Over the course of five years, they lost once to the Raiders. I bet they did a lot of running after that. <laughs> just, just guessing, just guessing. So, so it, it's all about the history. I mean, right? look at the Bears and the Packers. You would never in a million years ever hear a Bears fan or a Packers fan say, no, the rivalry doesn't mean anything. There's no meaningful games. No, They're I, all meaningful because they play each other. I, That's what I li- makes them yeah. meaningful. I live in the Midwest, man. I, I, I live the, the Packers-Bears rivalry. When the Packers are great and the Bears are terrible, it's still a huge rivalry. And you, you just can't... You can't just decide, well, this team isn't a rival anymore because they're not as good as they were for a while. Well, those th- those kinds of things change. you know. And, I, and I'll, I'll point to the Yankees and the Red Sox. That's a huge rivalry. And for 86 years, the Red Sox didn't do anything. The Yankees won all the World Series championships, and now things have swung to the other side. And the Red Sox are the team that are, are doing most of the winning to my chagrin because to our chagrin as we are also Yankee fans. So, you know, it, you don't just get to pick and choose your rivals because, Oh, they're good this week or they were good. You know, they're, they're good this year or they're good last year, whatever it is. You don't get to pick that history dictates who your rival is history and geography. Those are the two things that dictate who your biggest rivals are. The Broncos history says that their biggest rival is the Oakland Raiders period. There is no other discussion in that. That's that's what the Broncos history says. Geography you sort of take out of it in this particular situation because this isn't college football. You know what I'm saying? So they're in the and fact it's not the East Coast, right? And it's the fact that they're in matters. right, exactly. The fact that they're in the the AFC West does dictate it a little bit. But when you say AFC West, the West of the United States is a huge area. I used to love it when I would tell people that I was from Colorado, and they would say, "Oh, you must love the mountains." Well, of course I do. But I grew up in Greeley. That was flatlands. Like, oh, and you're really close to California. Yeah, just three states away. I mean, what, what do people think? You know, the, the country's a lot bigger than you would think. Any, I digress there. That's a strange conversation. But the point Colorado is. Colorado pretty close to California since they all live here now. That's true. That is true. California and Texas. Uh, the, the point that we are making here, and I think the point that has to be made, is that this is an important game, and the Broncos need to win. And, you know, it would be, it would be even more. It's already a disappointing season. The season's already a failure. Losing to the Raiders makes this that much worse, and and I can't accept that. If they lose Week 17 to the Chargers, I suppose that's a problem as well. And I don't, you know, I'm not going to root for losses. I can't do it. But losing to the Raiders is is not acceptable. Period. I've said that three times now. The word period. I need to stop saying it. But. You're not allowed to lose to the Raiders, period. The other reason why it's important to win this game is because the Broncos have to win both of these last two games to avoid being the first Broncos team since 1971-72 to have back-to-back losing seasons. We talk about the horrible history that Vance Joseph has made in his two-year error as head coach. Longest losing streak in 50 years. Yep. First shutout loss in 25 years. Yep. Now they're on the verge of the first back-to-back losing seasons in 46. 
Here's another thing that will go by the wayside. What's the one thing that is constantly thrown out about Pat Bowen and his candidacy for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Isn't it number is it number of winning seasons? It's the number of Super Bowl appearances, seven, to the number of lose to the number of losing seasons. That's, that's what you're getting at. Okay. Six. If they have a losing season, you can't say that anymore because it'll be equal. Kind of ruins the stat. I mean, that is that is to me, that is the most amazing statistic in professional sports the last 35 years. The Denver Broncos under Pat Bowen's ownership from 1984 until today have been to more Super Bowls than they have had losing seasons. I can, you know, that I can, is insane. I can save your stat if you if you'd allow it, and I don't. I'm not sure if you will. Uh, I know technically speaking, Pat Bowen is still considered the owner of the Denver Broncos, but he's not really in charge of anything anymore. That's the trust. Can we just? saddle the trust with the law with the losing seasons and and he can just keep his statistics because he really isn't making any decisions at this point none of none of these things are his fault he's for all intents and purposes not the owner anymore so there i saved his stat while he was the owner that happened now that he's not the owner look where we are and i think that maybe speaks even more volumes or is 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 as a much louder statement than the idea that uh, you know he's got more Super Bowl appearances than wins. Look what has happened to the franchise in the last few years since he relinquished control of the franchise because he he's no longer in control. He wasn't in control when they won the Super Bowl either. Yeah, but that so was different. different that was a little bit different because he was he had just recently relinquished control, and that you know you can kind of I, don't worry, we can finagle that right. We don't have any. So he gets the credit for all the wins and none of the losses. That's what I just did. Yes, there you go. You're picking up on it now. Look, we can, we can rewrite the history books. We have that kind of power, don't we? Yes. No. No. All right. I tried. Look, I tried. I thought it was a valiant effort. And just so, don't lose to the Raiders. Just don't lose to the Raiders. Speaking of which, let's talk about the, the other, game. The other reason that it's so important not to lose to the Raiders is because this is the Raiders' last game in Oakland. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to send what them away? What better way to send them to Las Vegas than on a beautiful loss for a pathetic, horrible franchise? And their awful fan base. Um, <laughs> I'll probably get in trouble for that one. Um, but let, let's, let's do talk about the game, because you can't talk about the game without talking about the game. That was like a, that was a, like a Mike Tomlin quote there. I was pretty proud of myself on that. Who's who? Like, who are we watching in this game? Because there's, a, is are is anybody healthy on the secondary? I think that's an important question. Is anybody healthy? And who's going to be inactive? Because they made a couple of guys inactive, sort of sh- last minute, uh, with uh, Sua Cravens and and Shane Ray. And is this a team that's able to rally and get a, and and get a win against this Raiders team that actually looked pretty good against the Steelers although uh everybody looked good against the Steelers for a little while so maybe that's not a fair assessment either for me it's about watching the rookies namely Bradley Chubb and Philip Lindsay 
And my key to the game is to get those to their records. Do whatever it takes to get Bradley Chubb and Philip Lindsay the rookie records that both have their sights on. Chubb still sits three sacks shy of the NFL rookie record because he wasn't able to get his hands on Baker Mayfield. So to get to the 14 and a half, he'll need to get three. Luckily for him, he's going against Colton Miller, who allowed two sacks and eight pressures on 43 pass defense snaps in the Raiders' most recent game. Miller also leads the league in sacks allowed. So Chubb should be looking his chops right about now because if he can get two sacks against the Raiders, he'll only need one against Phillip Rivers to set the new rookie sack record, which would be a lot of fun. And then Phillip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay currently sits 114 yards shy of Dominic Rhodes's undrafted rookie rush, rookie rushing record of 1,104 yards. Lindsay enters the Week 16 game sitting at 991 yards. So get Bradley Chubb, the NFL rookie sack record. Get Philip Lindsay, the all-time undrafted rookie rookie rookie. Rushing record. It's, uh, it's hard to say. I'm gonna. It, you're, that's not your fault, right? Alliteration is tough, and r- rookie rushing record is not easy to say. Ignore the fact that I just said it so smoothly. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go defensive side. I'm gonna go the other side of the line, and I'm gonna pick Von Miller as my player to watch. And the reason is my reasoning is a little bit different. Von Miller has been reported as one of the guys that has lost who Vance Joseph has lost in the locker room, right? Vance Joseph's criticism of him really turned him off. And it looks like Vance Joseph sort of is seeing his exit because of the fact that guys like Von Miller won't play for him. Well, knowing that Vance Joseph is probably on his way out, does that mean that Von Miller is going to go out and play better? Or is he going to continue to kind of coast? Because that's sort of been the, the... I don't want to call it the accusation, but it's it has been something that we've talked about this year, that he has disappeared at times. And is it because he doesn't want to play for Vance Joseph? And knowing now that it's probably Vance Joseph's last two ga- da- games as his head coach. Thank God. <laughs> is he actually going to turn up and play hard, or is he just going to coast throughout the rest of the season? I want to see Bradley Chubb get his sack record. I think that would be great. But it would be just as great to see Von Miller grab a few sacks here at the end and catch up to Aaron Donald, who leads the league in sacks with 16 and a half and Von Miller sitting at 14 and a half tied with a couple other guys. So could he catch up? Could Von Miller eventually overtake Aaron Donald and win the sort of the sack crown? Is that what they call it? I don't know. Sack crown sounds a little weird. Um, Sounds inappropriate. does sound a little inappropriate. Sounds like that should be something that's around Chubb. Yeah, Chubb might have a sack crown someday as well, so you don't know. He Uh, could set the sack crown. He he could. The rookie sack crown. (laughs) We've derailed here a little. So that's that's my player to watch on defense. On offense, I think it's Case Keenum. I think that what we saw against the Browns was they stacked the box. They challenged the Broncos to throw the football. And – the Broncos failed miserably. Phil Lindsay was bottled up. And the only way to sort of open things up 
is for Case Keenum to be able to make some make some throws and make some adjustments. And you know when I when we talked about keys to the game, I actually said one of the keys to the game was to get Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman and get the running game going and to stick with it. And part of the reason you have to do that is because Case Keenum is the most successful out of play action and when he's moving. So you can't set up the play action and you can't get him on a bootleg or anything like that if you're not running the football, if you've completely gone away from it. And so I want to watch Case Keenum, but I'm going to watch him and see, you know, is he able to um, get Philip Lindsay going, get Royce Freeman going, get Devontae Booker going for all I care. I don't care what running back is out there. And then use that so that he can get into the play action and start making some plays downfield. And I know that's kind of a double-edged sword there because it means you are watching the running backs as well. And I'm I'm going to cheat like that, and that's that's who I'm watching. Because let's face it, Case Keenum has a lot to prove as the Denver Broncos head coach or <laughs> as the Denver, Denver Broncos quarterback because the next head coach that they bring in might not want him. At least you said rookie 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 rushing record correctly. That's right, rookie rushing record. <laughs> It's a t- it's a tough phrase for some people. Um, Me. <laughs> all right. Um, you got a score prediction? You you, you got an idea? Because I you already know I'm not predicting a loss. I can't do it. So do you have a score prediction for this week? Three to two Broncos. Oh, I like that. A field goal to a safety. That uh, doesn't doesn't bode well for Philip Lindsay getting any yards, but it certainly helps uh, Bradley Chubb get his sacks. So. Perhaps that's the way to go. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little more realistic. Well, he could get yards, he just wouldn't get any points. That's true. That's true. All right, that's fine. Uh, I'm gonna go a little more realistic. 27-17 Denver. Uh, I think the offense actually opens it up a little bit, and you know the the Raiders really don't have anybody to rush the passer anyway, so should be just fine. That's because Mark Davis decided to trade his best pass rusher to the Bears, which. I have to tell you, I listen. I, I'm just a little aside here. I listened to a group of seventh and eighth grade boys today talk about football. I was sitting there at my desk. It's a study hall. I'm grading essays, but it, you know, out of, out of my, you know, my right ear, I'm listening to these boys talk about football, and they were convinced that the Bears were going to win the Super Bowl because of that trade. And they were doing a, a this bottle flip thing. I'm sure everybody's seen the bottle flip. And the kid kept saying, if this lands, then the Bears are going to win the Super Bowl. And then it didn't land. So he just did it over and over and over again until eventually it landed. But it did land, and he did say the Bears were going to win the Super Bowl because of Khalil Mack. I, that's, a, that's just a terrible trade on their part because he actually does give teams hope. And Khalil Mack is one of those players. And so... It's nice to know that they're that the Raiders are that inept. Well, we said it on the prior podcast. I think the Bears are one of the only teams that can go into New Orleans and beat the Saints. Yeah, absolutely they can. With that defense. With that defense. You know, the only thing that, that would counter that is the fact that the Saints have only given up something like twelve and a half points over the last three games as well. So the Saints defense is playing just as well as the Bears defense. And I have more faith in the Saints offense than I do in the Bears offense. So I don't really care about the the defensive matchup there. What's interesting, and I'm we didn't talk about this prior to the podcast. One of the possible coaching candidates for John Elway and the Broncos has a connection to the Bears. Also has a connection to the Eagles. Okay. He is the current offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Oh, because if you look at the last two offensive coordinators that Andy Reid has had in Kansas City, look at what they've done as head coaches. Doug Peterson led the Philadelphia Eagles to their first Super Bowl win. Matt Nagy, in his first year as the head coach of the Bears, took a team that was in last place in the NFC North to first place in the NFC North. I'm talking about Eric Bieniemy, the current yeah. offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, and has connections to Boulder as a famous running back sure. for the Buffs. Former CU Buff running back Eric Bieniemy. I, I mean, it would be an interesting. Would John Elway go with someone who hasn't been a head coach again? But neither did Matt Nagy, and Matt Nagy was only an offensive coordinator for one year. Yeah, I, I don't know how comfortable Elway would be with that. I actually um I, I, I love the idea of Eric Bieniemy. I know that he has been sort of all around the NFL and college as a coach. Uh he he's one of those guys that has um been learning uh the coaching sort of how to coach football for a long time and, and I think he's gonna earn himself a shot as a head coach. I don't know if the Denver Broncos are the right organization for him at this time, but I mean, you're right. The track record right now with, with what's going on, you know, the, the, you're right. The Eagles win a Super Bowl. The bears win the NFC North. Why not? I mean, at this point, who cares, right? The, that's probably one of the guys that, that Joe Ellis would approve of at least. The question is, does, does John Elway trust him enough to hire him? And I think that that's sort of what that goes back to is that trust factor. Can John Elway trust a former CU football player to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos? It didn't work out so well the last couple of years. Well, Biennemi was actually a good football player. That's true. That is true. Biennemi actually played football and didn't do other things uh, while he was there. And I'm not saying that Bienemy is going to be the next Matt Nagy or Doug Peterson, no. but when you look at the track record, that's true. The Andy Reid coaching tree has it's a, fared pretty well the last couple of seasons. Yeah, it's got some leaves on it, doesn't it? Certainly. And you also take an offensive coordinator away from Andy Reid, who knows the Chiefs, who the Broncos haven't beaten in seven games. And I'm going to throw out another candidate. And All he right. was one of the final three candidates the last time the Broncos went through this mess. Dave Tobe. I was just going to, I knew you were going to say that. And I was just going to see if you were going to say it. Dave Tobe is an interesting one. That's uh, he's a guy that kind of has been on the cusp, right? He's been in the final two or three for a lot of different franchises. He's had a lot of interviews. He's had a lot of opportunities and um, I don't know for whatever reason, franchises just haven't pulled the trigger on him. They've gone in different directions. I don't know um, if that's just an issue of, you know, younger guys, more innovative guys, but Dave Tobe is somebody who has certainly been, um, been looked at not just by the Broncos, but by other franchises as well. And he could be a guy that, that Denver goes out to get. I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think the Broncos are in for uh, one of those off seasons that, you don't usually want to have because you don't really want to have to go through the process of finding a coach and, and, you know, know that you had a, a bad season and you had to fire the coach and things like that. But it'll be interesting to see where they go. I mean, and it's 
There's a lot of stuff going on in Broncos country right now. If nothing else, the entertainment value is certainly there uh, for the next few weeks and the next the next few months, really. What's interesting about Dave Tobe is the other guy that Broncos country seems to be really pining for, and if, if he becomes available, he would be my number one choice. He also has a connection to Andy Reid. That being John Harbaugh, because he was the special teams coordinator for Andy Reid in the early 2000s with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. I'd be all right with John Harbaugh. Why not? It's ironic. All three guys that I just mentioned are connected to the guy who I pretty much dislike more than John Harbaugh. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the guy you hate most of all aside from maybe John Fox, is the guy who's producing the coaches that you are perhaps the most interested in coming to the Denver Broncos. Um, that actually is – that makes sense because we have a tendency to hate the guys that um, d- perform the best against us. Is that the, is that the way to say that? Am I speaking, am I speaking that correctly there? So Yes. It's not rookie, ru- rookie rushing record. Rookie rushing record. <laughs> Yeah, I did it again. You did? Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, so where Speaking are we now? John Harbaugh oh, and the okay. Ravens. Um, their game against the Chargers is a very big deal on Saturday night because that could determine whether or not he becomes available. Yeah. If the, if the Ravens are in the playoffs, John Harbaugh is probably not available. If the Ravens are out of the playoffs, he probably is. So uh, – I think a lot. I think a lot of teams are going to be watching that and wondering what's going to happen. I de- I will put this out there. I doubt that John Harbaugh, knowing what's going on in in Denver with the Broncos and knowing what's happening with the organization, I doubt that he would step into that particular situation. I, I just don't see it. So I almost feel like, having said that, the Broncos are going to be forced into a situation where they have to go get a coach that either has been out of the game for a while and is looking to get back in or a young coach that is trying to get their first opportunity uh, in the NFL as a head coach. And that, that to me, is, is probably the direction they're going to have to go. John Harbaugh, if he, is, if, if he and, and the Baltimore Ravens have, a, have an, uh, an uncoupling, if you will, then he's probably going to have his pick of where he wants to go. And I don't know that Denver is the location that he would select knowing what we know right now. I haven't seen this uh, confirmed, but one of the Mile High Report staff members put it in Slack saying that he heard Adam Schefter say on 104.3 FM, the fan, that if John Harbaugh is relieved of his coaching duties with the Ravens, that he would take a year off because his daughter is going to be a senior in high school in Baltimore. Hmm. Then he's not available. If it's accurate, and if, if that's it's true. accurate, yep, if that's accurate. I mean, Bill Cower did that, right? Remember, Bill Cower stepped away so that he could go be a family man and, and home for his daughters. They were, you know, athletes and whatnot. And then he just has never gone back, and, and I don't think he ever will. Uh, he's got a nice cush job in a studio, and nobody second guesses him. And he's got lots and lots of money, and he's doing just fine for himself. So, uh, you know, that was always the big surprise when John Gruden went back. He had that cush job in the in the booth calling Monday night football games where you're a genius every every time you call a game now not so much a genius right so kind of a kind of an interesting choice there I think uh if if that's true John Harbaugh's not available 
I still don't. I don't think it would matter one way or the other. I think the Broncos are are in a position to either get somebody who's been out of the game for a while, who's trying to get back in, like a Chuck Pagano, for example. Not necessarily my choice, but that's a, a an example there. Uh, or a young guy, like you said, an Eric Bieniemy, maybe a Dave Tobe type type individual, looking for their first head coaching job. In that scenario, if it's Chuck Pagano or a young guy, give me Eric Bieniemy. Yep. I'm with you on that. Let's let's get some innovation going here. So, all right, everybody. It, it's Raider Week. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.